0: After protests for racial justice swept the nation in 2020, healthcare marketers vowed to leverage their messaging and awareness-building skills to close access and education gaps for diverse populations seeking medical attention. Multicultural is certainly the new mainstream, but health marketing has been slow to seize the moment. This week on the podcast, Creating and Selling Work That Reflects Our Diverse World. Joining me to discuss this and give some specific examples are Kim Bark, SVP Creative Director at The Block, and Lillian Galarraga, SVP of Integrated Strategy at CDM New York. Lillian and Kim, welcome to the MMNM Podcast.
1: Hi, Mark.
0: Hey, great to have you both here. Uh, this is the fourth in our quarterly series spotlighting how agencies from the membership of the Medical Advertising Hall of Fame are progressing along the journey to diversity, equity, and inclusion. On previous episodes, we've discussed agencies' efforts to broaden and diversify the pipeline of healthcare marketing talent, managing through DEI decision points, and assess progress in many other areas. Today we'll be talking about how these agencies have done work that's more reflective of the, of the communities they serve. First, a little level setting is in order. I did a piece for MMM over the summer, and the way I summed it up was that pharmaceutical companies, broadly speaking, have not done an acceptable job, including black and brown people in ads or other marketing programs. But amid widespread social unrest and a subsequent focus on the scourge of health equity, inequity, excuse me, marketers seem finally to have adjusted to the times. Agencies told me that they're seeing a lot more action taken, specifically from health brands, and that more people want to market to a broader spectrum of folks. Now, when agencies bring culturally informed strategies and insights to pharma work targeting people of color, the response is different. There's no pushback, one exec told me, whereas a year ago we might have gotten resistance. Until the death of George Floyd last year, which sparked an equity and social justice tidal wave, and the COVID 19 pandemic, which exposed broad fault lines in the health system, many people weren't willing to acknowledge the facts that people of color have a high prevalence of many chronic diseases, but have been underrepresented in the very communications necessary to drive diagnosis and stimulate demand for those treatments. So, on those fronts, we've seen a cultural awakening, so to speak. But is it translating into more culturally sensitive campaigns? Kim, uh, I'd like to drill down a bit further on the on the real impact of the conscious raising. Are you seeing healthcare clients prioritize supplier diversity?
1: Hi, Mark. Um, it's something that I think we're we're driving as an agency, and I think if you're asking about vendors, for instance, photographers, um, directors, production companies, it's something that. Uh, our agency has taken on as a, as an initiative and, and we're introducing the clients and they're open to it. Absolutely. We have to bring them to the table. We've, we've uh, initiated a policy where every triple bid that we have at the block includes traditionally marginalized um, artists, whether it's women, um, black photographers um, you know, queer, trans, uh, we're bringing, we're bringing all of these different artists and directors to the table. And, uh, and we made a point of doing that in, uh, in some of our award-winning work recently. And, um, you know, it does, it does take extra effort, but it's bringing, I think, work, you know, to, to the industry that has a lot more substance value and um, thought and care.
0: Sure, sure. that's great to hear. Uh, that that uh, the block as an agency is prioritizing it. You know, a survey I saw over the summer uh, found that 62 percent of respondents say their organizations, this is pharma organizations, uh, do not prioritize uh, DE and I when selecting an agency or a vendor. This being said, DE and I is increasing importance amongst this group, and I think they surveyed uh, 45 respondents from 33 biopharma companies and this is a study by Trinity Life Sciences, nearly half of the respondents indicated that DE&I has increased in importance over the last three to six months, and about um, a fifth of decision-makers have already reported ruling out a vendor for lack of evidence related to commitment to DE&I. So it sounds like, you know, from the block's perspective, you're able to meet that um, ask, you know, when, when, it's, when it's a, a priority. Are, are you seeing it in, in RFPs, Kim?
1: Uh, no, I, I've been not seeing it in, in, in not seeing it in RFPs, um, but you know we're starting out with a creative team that's you know at the SVP level is all women, all women creative directors. I think um, uh, several of whom are women of color and and also queer, and so you know it's just more natural for us, and I think we're able to tap into our networks you know, existing networks of people that we know and, and and bring that to the table. So it's it's not necessarily driven by the clients right now, but but uh, we're making a point to make sure that they're keeping it top of mind. I will say, though, that when it comes to talent in terms of models or actors, that that's something that they've been looking for, you know, decades. So I, I think it's, it's more the, the photographers and the directors that they're not, you know, accustomed to thinking about.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Lillian, um, I'm sure, and I know that uh, de and is top of mind at CDM New York as well. Um, let, let's talk talk about that. Tell me about um, your level of, of de uh, and at, at your agency. Have you, how, how are you prioritizing it?
2: Sure. First, let me thank you for having us here. I think it's a pleasure to come and to be able to talk about such a relevant topic. As you said, I think de is a true and very important pillar of the whole Omnicom health group. So it's something that we, we we are trying to constantly grow and it is. So we have some initiatives like the Black Collective that is across the whole group. We have inside the Black Collective, we'll have like Black Career <coughs> Collective that's, it's all about fostering Black talent. Uh, we have sev- several other uh, initiatives like the uh, a new one that we launched this year that I'm actually a part of is the It's called Unidos, it's about the the Latin representation. Inside CDM, we have CDM Voices, which is again, Uh, a way to make sure all all and every voice is represented and heard uh, along the whole creative process. And we also have CDM Rise, which is also an initiative that we launched this year that was about bringing new talent, but from from the the very foundation. So this is a program that's focused on high school students and internships at at the very early stage to open their minds to advertising, because sometimes for BIPOC students, it's not even something that they consider. So it's a a really interesting program that we started uh, in New York this year, and we had amazing results. So in general, and and this is more from from a corporate point of view, but on the day-to-day, as Kim said, we also have that concern. We also have tried to have a a diverse set of suppliers. And and again, I think that the, the most obvious thing is when it comes to talent execution and production so casting and all of that 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 has always been something that uh, this is not recent this is like for over a decade but it's something that is already top of mind for the clients and we are trying to to increase the level of diversity at every level not only from uh, casting but suppliers and internal talent
0: Speaking of the creative process, you know, everybody wants to do work that's more reflective of the experiences of communities of color. You both not only did that, but your agencies have done work that faced the issue head on. Before we get to the campaigns themselves, let's talk about the pre- prerequisites to doing this kind of work and the obstacles. The first one we have to talk about is the, you know, overall lack of diverse talent. Kim, on, on can you kind of address that, you know, how you navigate the intersection between people uh, and, and the project type? Uh, to produce work that's you know credible and authentic with, with the staff that you have.
1: So, for instance, with with Skin Deep, which was a very sensitive topic about race-based traumatic stress, we spent nine months uh, putting together the brief and working on the strategy because we needed to bring in outside experts and consultants, uh, and that's what we did. We had we had um, you know six people who we referred to. And then we also had an internal sort of ad board of members of our staff who were black, uh, who could weigh in on it. Some of the things that we learned along the way, you know, involve some very tough conversations. And so I think part of the process is, is taking the time to slow down, have those conversations and make sure that you have, you know, consensus which is a little bit different than alignment, right? It's, it's about making sure everybody feels very comfortable every step along the way, including, you know, everybody in the agency who's, who's represented by, by this piece. Um, one of the things we learned, for instance, when we started out the brief was that, we, you know, we had BIPOC acronym in there. And, um, you know, I had a conversation with one of my copywriters, It was a black woman and she said, you know, please don't I don't want to be involved in this project if it's going to be BIPOC, she said, because there's a lot of racial hostility that happens among, you know, people of color and blacks in the United States have a unique experience. And so you need to think about that. Another thing that was pointed out to us is, you know, we're talking about race based traumatic stress and we thought, well, let's send everybody to therapists we'll create awareness about this. And she's like, please don't send people to therapists. They're not trained. It's going to make it worse. You know, you need to start by uh, training the therapists because they're not learning about it. Um, So as we learned about some of these issues, we expanded our outside network. And for um, training the therapist, for instance, we found someone who teaches, you know, psychology at Columbia University and brought him in. And he literally wrote the book on race-based traumatic stress and gave us examples about what would cause it. And so it, it, was, a, it was a long process, but I think in the end it, it was worthwhile because, you know, Skin Deep ended up being a very effective and, and meaningful campaign.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about that campaign in a moment. But yeah, consensus building being different from alignment, you know, that's a great point. Um, you know, another prerequisite is is the need to, you know, pressure test the campaign. Uh, Lillian, can you, can you talk more about that? You know, making sure that the idea, you know, resonates with the right stakeholders, uh, not only, you know, domestically, but globally, and both HCPs and patients, you know, talk about your internal process there.
2: Sure, and I, I think that is a very important topic because even before going into any specific projects, I think in general, what we, we have understood is that DNI cannot be treated as an afterthought. So it has to be a, a core uh, part of, of the, the kickoff of any idea. So for some clients, what we did is we kind of incorporated a new session on the brief that is already asking, how does this specific project or this specific ask connect to DNI? So this is something that we have in place for some, some clients. For others, uh, when we have a big project that is <coughs> really trying to drive change and we have a larger purpose or a big ambition, we uh, internally do kick it off differently. So we might just start with an open brief where we invite the whole creative team to join so we can have that variety of perspectives that will, uh, you know, add color to to the whole process. And uh, uh, to validate and to pressure test the ideas, as you said, we have the support from the structures that we have in place. So either from CDM voices, from the Black Collective, and even on a global scale. So this is something that uh, we believe that for those specific projects, for, for when it comes to DNI, it's not something that we can do alone. So we need support. We need to bring people from with outside perspectives. We need to consult. And when it comes to, uh, uh delivering a project on a global scale, that's even more important because we know that the realities of the ENI across countries are very different. So for some markets, we might be just joining a conversation that is already very hot. For others, we might be driving and we might have the need to still raise that awareness. So it's really important to understand those differences and to validate and to have the input of the right stakeholders, at the right time. So, before it's too far along in the process, before it's too late, before the campaign idea is finalized, we need those inputs at the early stages. So, I think having a broad perspective, having a different points of view, and validating through uh, uh, different and, and <coughs> global point of, points of view and stakeholders when the project is global is really fundamental for anything related to DNI.
0: Okay, great points. Thank you. Um, let's move on to some some quick examples here. Uh, staying with you for a moment, Lillian, you, I, I know that um, you told me CDM New York uh, did a uh, above brand dermatology platform for Pfizer. Tell, tell us about that.
2: Yeah, I think that's one of the projects that I'm most proud of in my whole career. Uh, so it all started almost a year ago, as, and as Kim said, the, the strategic part of it is really heavy. And for those types of projects, it's, it's always an ongoing support. And this was about uh, the reality of dermatology. So we know that dermatology is the second least diverse discipline in medicine. There are a lot of challenges and disparities in uh, in disease prevalence, in how uh, different types of skin or skin colors are represented in dermatology textbooks. So there are a lot of angles and disparities when it comes to dermatology. And we felt that there was an opportunity for us to Begin to, to 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 do something about it. So we we collective we had a, a you know we started with a collective brainstorm and <clears throat> a very strong partnership with our clients to identify what is Pfizer' role in this conversation. So it's not about you know uh, again this this was uh, the whole a whole process of trying to understand uh, what what the opportunity was, what needs to be done, and. This platform is, that, that we landed on, is, it's called Every Color is Primary. So this is a, a platform that wants to showcase the efforts to drive change. So it, it's something that recognizes that we have already come a long way, but there's still a lot more that we can do. So it's not a finger pointing to errors of the past, of the past, but really looking forward to building a more diverse future and, and a more inclusive dermatology. And I think one of the, as I mentioned before, one of the most important things that we learn along this whole process is that change is not something that we can drive alone. So this is one of the examples of the projects that has a really bold ambition. It's, it's a, a long-term commitment. It's something that we believe can really drive change, and it's a, at a global scale. So this uh, we launched this year. there was uh, you know a lot of input, and, and the whole process that I said that needs to, to happen, we did follow for this client. So uh, a lot of research rounds with different input sessions. we had patients, we had HCPs, we had internal experts. We had you know th- there were a lot of, uh, of hands and minds involved uh, until until we actually we finally launched the platform. So this is something that we—I honestly can't wait to see what it will become in the next years, because I think we're just starting. But the intention is, together with the whole dermatology community, create a more diverse and inclusive discipline.
0: Yeah, fascinating. You know what I liked about this is that the campaign didn't just have a heavy DEI component; DEI really was at the center. Helping to push this medical uh, discipline to be more diverse, equitable, and, and inclusive. Along those same lines was the blocks the call, a campaign on bias in healthcare for empower her New York. Kim, can you tell us about that one?
1: Sure. I mean, it's been, I mean, I think it's been well known for, for a very long time that there's you know, there's bias in, in healthcare. And what we set out to do was create an awareness campaign and drive clinicians to become educated in unconscious bias so that we could work to kind of chip away at this. Our client Empower Her New York uh, and the founder of it, Ingrid Silva, was pregnant at the time. And she was hearing about things that were happening to other Black women who had been pregnant, like, you know, Serena Williams, for instance. And you think somebody like Serena Williams with her fame and fortune, you know, almost died because of, you know, unconscious bias during, during her healthcare care situation uh, and her pregnancy. And so Ingrid felt like it was a really important topic for us to address. And what we did in that particular campaign is an experiment uh, that we videotaped. And it involved something, um, you know, called code switching, which is something that, um, at least in the United States, Black Black people often use to, you know, sound white. It was all done through audio so that the people that were answering the phones had no idea the person was. And, you know, the way that the script was written, we did use, you know, sort of black sounding names. We hired an actor who had experience doing improv and, and code switching as part of her act, you know, over the course of the experiment that we filmed, you know, we were, we were all really getting affected emotionally because we were seeing, you know, we were seeing the data coming and it was, it was kind of like a punch in the gut to see how, when she used her, her quote unquote, black voice and black name, she was being told to go to urgent care uh, with symptoms of uh, acute appendicitis, which I'm sure everybody knows is life-threatening when she called using her white sounding name and, and white voice, she was told immediately to go to the ER. Um, and so this is, you know, this is really like a life or death situation. And, um, you know, it was all recorded and, and demonstrated and um, was effective, very effective in, in, in driving healthcare workers to get trained in unconscious bias, but also was giving people an opportunity to, to talk about it you know, in their own practices. So after people had seen it, nurses or, you know, doctors had seen it, they felt more comfortable talking among themselves like, Hey, you know, is this, is this situation of unconscious bias? Maybe we need to stop and and think about what we're doing here. And so that, that was also a a really wonderful outcome.
0: Sure. And I should mention this, this campaign, um, the call won the titanium award at the MMN awards Show a year ago, I believe, and you also also shared uh, with us uh, "Skin Deep," which was about race-based traumatic stress, also for Empower in New York. Um, Kim, you know, just staying with you for a moment, can you tell us a little bit more about the creative process on projects like these? You know, I, I know you addressed earlier that there's you know a need to uh, gather consensus um, and to you know make sure that people uh, that are BIPOC in, in, within the agency's walls are comfortable with it. Are there other aspects of the creative pro- process that you think our listeners should know about?
1: I think, I mean, I think the most important thing is, is really, like I was saying earlier, slowing down and being open to having tough conversations. You know, I think we're all used to, you know, in, 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 the agency life collaborating. Right. And I think when you collaborate, you, you, you know you compromise right you're you you have to step back a little bit from your own vision and and be willing to have a more of a communal vision we're used to doing that right we 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 concede to our clients we concede to our colleagues i think when we're doing projects of this nature ones that are very sensitive traumatizing like skin deep is is l- literally about race based traumatic stress we need to have a lot more of these tough conversations and and listen to people. Part of the way that Skin Deep even came about was talking to some colleagues I have at at the block and listening to them when they were talking about the effects that things that had happened over the summer of 2020, like George Floyd and and the racial um, protests, and that they were feeling traumatized even just scrolling through their social media. Right. So there's more to it. Right. This isn't a one time thing. This isn't PTSD where, you know, you have a traumatic effect and it it, it continues throughout your life. This is something that never goes away. You know, you're continually traumatized and you're you're traumatized as an individual and then also communally. Right. So something happens to somebody else and and you're affected by it because you think it could have been me. It could have been my brother. could. I think it's really, you know, it's about listening. It's about empathy. It's about caring um, about other people's experiences. And I think, you know, good, good creative projects do that generally, right? You try to dig deep into the insights, but you have to be really open to hearing what other people want to share and, um, and they have to feel safe with you doing that. So it's, it's really more about listening than it is talking <laughs> often.
2: Kim, I love what you said. I want to jump in here very quickly because I, I couldn't agree more with the listening part. I think that's one of the most important things for anything of, of this nature, because it's in the end, it's really uh, about the people. And specifically here, we, we are trying to help, you know bring representation. We are trying to connect to what really uh, matters to them and and to bring their voices to be heard for by more, more people so uh, i think that is uh, f- along the creative process was one of the the richest experiences for the whole team so the more we heard feedback the more f- from patients from from everyone and, and having also that openness to change as we go and learn as we go because this was a huge learning curve for all of us involved in this project for over a year so I think that that flexibility that in the end when you look at the final product and we look at the first idea it's the the, in our case the name was already there but the concept evolved so much so it became a, a totally new and Stronger and you know re- mo- much more relevant uh, idea in the end. So yeah, I, I think listening. I would agree with you. It's 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 very very important.
0: Well, that's that's really surprising to to hear how much the concept evolves, uh, but it just highlights the importance of, as you say, Lillian. You know, being flexible and and being open open to change as you go. Projects of this nature are are also challenging, as you said. Can, can you both talk about some of the other challenges, like, you know, tone of voice, measurements, you know, Lillian, if, staying with you on, on that, can you uh, address some of the other obstacles that you had to overcome?
2: Yeah, and, and this is also one of the, the, the more relevant learnings that we had along the way, because I think th- this is an area where we've, we've all seen a lot of good intentions gone wrong, right? We've all seen big brands with DNI initiatives that just didn't work. Because I don't know, after the idea is out there, it's easy to look and see, you know, how is that? How how didn't they see that before? How didn't they see it coming? But the the reality is, if you don't pay attention to every single detail detail along the way, it might go wrong because it's a very sensitive theme. In our case, we thought uh, language, especially because we're talking about skin, and skin of color, and and it was something that that, that had to be very specific, so we brought a a partner agency from from Omnicom, so we we brought Maslansky to help us with a language strategy in this case, so we we knew that the, the way we talk about skin and skin of color was very important to understand and make sure it was relevant and was not offending anyone and, and again this was a global project so we did this at a global scale so it, I think that tone and the the there's a very fine line uh, on what you can do and what you can't so we we had that support that I think we were all uh, very excited about and it does uh, it did play a, a big role into how the final product came, came to life so I think that that being conscious that the, the tone is something that can uh, make an idea a success or a failure is really uh, it's, it's important to keep that in mind.
0: yeah success or failure really hinges on, on these aspects. Kim were there um, you know certain really crucial you know hurdles or obstacles that, that you had to overcome on, on those two campaigns that you mentioned
1: Well I think I think skin deep probably um, more so because skin deep was a written script. And we had to create a storyline. We had to create dialogue, and because it's it's demonstrating race-based traumatic stress, we had to create an insult. We didn't want our video about race-based traumatic stress to cause more trauma, you know, in the audience. So it was a, a very uh, fine line to walk. What what we did is we brought in. Um, an outside expert, Dr. Robert Carter, as I mentioned earlier, is the professor at Columbia University. And he had served as an expert witness in race-based traumatic stress cases. And he suggested go and do a search on cases, actual legal cases that have happened and use some of those stories, you know, pull out some of that. And what we learned about is that, you know, in, um, in, in race-based traumatic stress, you, you have to have two, parts, right? You have to have the initial insult. Um, in, in in our case, one of the swimmers insults the other because she lost the race and something. So it's a verbal insult. And then you have to have that person go to an authority to complain about it and not get anywhere. So there's a two, like it's, it's and, and why that's important is because, you know, Black people, you know, in this country are constantly Um, assaulted. And we have to acknowledge that they have some resilience, right? They have their family, they have their community, they have resilience. So every little thing that happens isn't going to cause race-based traumatic stress, right? It's when you get this initial insult, you try to do something about it, and then you hit another wall. That's when it feels hopeless. So that was a really critical part of the story. And then the other thing that we spent a lot of time debating was how does this woman's young woman's mother talk to her? Initially, we had the mother talking to her kind of like tough love, you know, like you know it's okay, go on, like you know you're going to be fine, win the race, blah blah blah. And um, over time, we softened that and made the mother much more compassionate and loving and empathetic because we wanted the overall tone of the piece to feel more compassionate and loving. So, so that was a change that we had made with regard to tone. So yeah, all of these things are very important. um, And it's probably why it took, took us as long as it did to get it right.
0: Right. Right. but Get it right. You did. Uh, Lillian, you have a, a comment. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, no, just because you you touched on measurement also, and I think for projects like this, it also, as Kim said many times, it takes time. And for measurement, on our case, we're talking about a global platform that does not have like a single KPI, right? So this is, again, another thing that we had to align with the clients that Yes, we do have many different ways to measure the success. We have different KPIs, but the more important thing to keep in mind is that it will take time. This is a long-term commitment. So the results on year one might not be great. Like we are seeing slow impact, but this is something that uh, demands consistency. So it's not something that will, you know, just uh, shift gears or, or, you know, just have an immediate effect. It's a, a, a long and slow but really relevant thing that we wanna change. So uh, it's about changing a a whole community and the reality for patients. So this is not something that we will solve in one year, but slowly we believe that this can be done. So when it comes to measurement, it is challenging. It's also an act of patience. So we'll see progress, but it might not be as quick as we want it or it will have different um, types of pro- progresses depending on the region. So there's again flexibility. Is uh, I said before that is important not only on the creative process, but really understanding uh, when it comes to measurement too.
0: Sure, sure. Well said. You know, w- one of the takeaways that I'm getting from this is that you know DEI is is not just the elephant in the room anymore. You know, your agencies are really confronting. Inequities and pushing for change on a large scale, you know, these were real seminal efforts, you know, that you that you described here, that took a year plus, you know, to to develop um, and, and really evolved over time. As agencies begin to flex this muscle more, you know, as yours have, um, and become more mature, if you will, in doing these kinds of campaigns. And then, you know, clients see that and, and approach you to to do more such efforts, you know, what are your takeaways, you know, as you progress in this and in, in, in strengthening this muscle, if you will, you know, how do you take these, what, what learnings do you take from these efforts and, and apply them going forward?
2: To me, I think one of the, the key things is that uh, I said it before, it can't be an afterthought. It's not a detail anymore. It's something that for whatever work that we do, it has to be part of the, f- f- from from the initial uh, uh, strategy deep dives or insights—it's it's part of our culture and it has to be looked at th- through that lens. So it's not just something that it might be a nice to have; it has to be part of everything. The second thing is that I, I I believe that it's not something that we can do alone. Like the agency alone won't solve anything. It's a true partnership. So it it will demand clients that are ready to embrace DNI the same way as, as we want to. But not only them, like uh, bringing outside opinions and all those perspectives to really make sure we have something that is uh, empathetic, it's relevant, it's, you know, culturally appropriate. And the last thing I would say to me, we, we touched on this before, but it's the listening piece. So we have to keep our, our ears, ears open to hear what's relevant and, and, and be open to, to, to accommodate and change and learn. Uh, continuously when it comes to dni and i think this is just the beginning so we're still there, there's a lot more that we can do
1: i agree with everything that that is saying um, and i feel very passionate about all of these topics um, the only thing i would add is that i think our staffing needs to shift dramatically i think we we i think everybody's doing a great job of 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 hiring black people other people of color I think we need to do a better job of mentoring them promoting them putting them in positions where they're making these projects right that where they're leading these projects and and they're you know um, having a, a big voice and, and and a seat at the table and I think it's it's a process right it's it's finding them mentoring them, you know, including them in every step along the way, and I think that's that's the next big lift for all of us.
0: Staying on that question of uh, like how you put that, Kim. That w- what's the next big lift here? You know, you're you're giving a voice to diverse talent. You know that you know you kind of proved the, that you could do that. You know these these campaigns were a proof point for being able to do that. You know, where do we go from here? Can can you elaborate on that?
1: I went, a few years ago I hired a young woman uh, right out of college she went to FIT and she got my attention because she had written a very provocative letter that got picked up by AdAge um and it said your agency hates black women <laughs> that was the title of her letter I loved it. I mean I thought wow she's she's got she knows how to do it right she's got stopping power she's provocative um she worked with me for a couple of years. And um, and I'll say that there was discussion among some of the people that I worked with, like, wow, this is intense. Like this letter is intense. It's on the internet. What if the clients see it, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> so I think that there is some fear still uh, among some people about difference. And I think what we need to do in order to make people who've been traditionally marginalized, comfortable in our agencies is accept and not just accept, but embrace the difference. We can't be afraid of it. Um, And I'm bringing up an extreme example because I think that's, you know, something that I have, I, you know, really, I haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten those conversations that I had. They made me very uncomfortable. And I, so I, I'm getting a peek into what people are thinking. I think, and you know, and this is what we have to face. I think there's, there's been a lot of training recently, which is great about unconscious bias. And I think what we have to start doing and, you know, and it's in a way COVID has been helpful, right? Because we're all a lot more comfortable being our authentic selves. (laughs) Um, But that's, we just have to start accepting each other for who we are. You know, it's not, it's not just about, you know somebody's race. It's about a lot of other things too. And, um, and I think that's, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a process, but I think that's what we have to start doing.
2: Yeah. Lila. Yeah. I also think that when it comes to the clients, it's, it's our responsibility to try to understand the realities of the patients of color because that, that and see what, what can we do to uh, you know, get to those under un- underserved populations or the the, the the realities of the patients that have different needs because they mm-hmm. their skin is a different color or uh, they are more uh, affected by a condition because of, you know, they, they are different uh, realities. So I think there's the, the the part of how can we do more as an agency? How can we do better as an agency? and that's like uh, fostering that more inclusive, talent and oh, the, the whole uh, environment. But when it comes to the clients, I also think that it is our role to start having those tough tough conversations, pushing the boundaries, focusing on uh, those specific populations that we could be doing more for them. So uh, again, I think keep keeping the patient in the center of, in, in the end, it's about them. Like we work on healthcare and, and we have the, the possibility to really make an impact. And I think it's it's our role to to try to push the clients. And some of them are really open, some of them push us to do better. But for the ones who don't, I think it's it's our role. Like we we have to make this top of mind.
0: Exceedingly well, well put. In closing, I just want to say this is the last of our four-part series for 2021, at least talking to MAF member agencies about DEI. Of course, the MOF updated its mission statement earlier this year to reflect this as a priority, and it's been really rewarding to, uh, for me personally, to moderate these talks that have given our listeners a bird's eye view into the concrete steps healthcare agencies are taking. So, Kim and Lillian, you know, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank, thank you,
1: Marcus. Marcus. Yeah, thank you. Great opportunity to, to, um, to speak with you and to um, have a dialogue with Lila as well. Thank Absolutely. you so much.
2: Yes, great opportunity to be able to come here, have a nice chat and talk about important stuff. So thank you.
0: Absolutely. And we look forward to uh, hopefully reporting more progress next year.